Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, being recorded on February 18th in the beautiful Marriott Courtyard, Coral Springs, Florida. Tonight, we're asking the question, are you a travel snob? Thanks for listening. Hello. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Like I said in the intro, I am in Coral Springs, Florida for a night or two, and this area holds a special place in my heart. I actually graduated from Coral Springs High School, class of 1982, and at the time, this was a great town. It was right on the edge of the Everglades. We spent our afternoons and weekends out with airboats and fishing and hunting and taking trucks through uh, puddles and puddles of mud and just having a good time. And like everything else in the world, civilization has set in and we are now encroaching on the Everglades. A few travel-related notes before we get into all the snobbery. I had four flights on Southwest this past week, and it seems that they've updated their pre-flight safety message to something along the lines of, Please report any unwelcome behavior to your flight attendant. Truly nothing wrong with that if you spend any time listening to the monthly crazy travel roundup. You know that if you see something, definitely say something. And this month's travel-related roundup craziness is going to be a doozy. Does anybody remember Chloe Haynes? Well, last November, she did make the crazy travel roundup. And for doing what? She tried to open the door on a Jet 2 airplane while it was in flight. As a result of her alleged antics, the pilot made an emergency landing while being escorted by not one, but two RAF fighter jets. And then she was handed a bill for 85,000 pounds. In addition to the bill, Jet 2 banned Chloe Haynes. For life. Well, this past week, the Chimsford Crown Court found Chloe Haynes guilty and sentenced her to two years in prison. And the article went on to say that allegedly Chloe had been overserved or had overserved herself and actually started or tried to start a flight, a fight with one of the flight attendants. So Chloe's got that going for her. Next up is Disney, 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 truly the happiest place on earth. Well, guess what, folks? It just got a bit more expensive. The cost of a one-day pass has increased from $199 to $209 per day. The Max Pass, which allows you to avoid waiting in lines and digitally book reservations, increased to $20 from $15. And if you've never booked or priced out Disney tickets. It's a rite of passage if you live in Florida. It can truly be confusing. There are blackout date tickets, non-blackout date. There are park hoppers and non-park hopper tickets. But rest assured, they've all increased. What hasn't increased is their $25 per day parking fee. So we actually spent Sunday at Epcot. And real quickly, I was trying to do the math as we were sitting in line for the cars, for the parking at $25 a pop. I think they're doing pretty good there. But if you're a true baller, 
and a true Disney baller, consider the Premier Pass. It gives you access to both Disney World and Disneyland with no blackout dates. It's only $2,199, up 13% from last year. So it's time to move on into the snobbery. First of all, I am a self-diagnosed watch nerd as well as a pen nerd, and I certainly don't have a watch collection that rivals John Mayer's or Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, but the watches I do have have some kind of a story attached to them, and right off the bat, I have two Omegas from my father. The first one is a Seamaster that his brother bought him back. He was in the Air Force overseas in the late 1950s. Now, in present times, most people tend to swap out their watch bands based solely on fashion, right? You drop a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks on a nice watch, and then a month or two later, you decide that you're going to swap out the watch band to kind of change it up. Totally reasonable thing to do. Well, my dad is an engineer, and he swapped out the leather watch band on the Seamaster for function. So the Seamaster does not have a calendar on it. And my dad, like I said, being an engineer and concerned with function and not fashion, swapped out that nice leather band that it came with for an aftermarket metal Spidex. They were a big band, watch band maker in the 70s and possibly into the 80s. Swapped it out for a metal Spidex band that had a very tiny set of dead, what I call the Dead Sea Scroll calendar in the watch band itself. So every month he'd take his big Fred Flintstone fingers and advance the the calendar about a half an inch. So it would display the new month's calendar. And of course, at the end of the year, he'd pop out the, uh, the case, pull out the old calendar and replace it with the new current year. You know, somebody at the watch band company had discovered a way to create a recurring revenue stream from a typical one-time purchase of a watch band. This guy was decades of head of all the software we deal with now where it is a subscription service. And so for years, my dad wore that watch, and he actually wore it up until February of 1963 when my mom gave him another Omega as an anniversary gift. And so the story is that I have both of the watches. The original Seamaster still has the calendar on the watch band, and it is stuck on February 1963. Pretty cool story. So over the last couple of weeks, some of you may have seen a clip from the Antiques Roadshow where a very unassuming man has his Rolex Daytona appraised. And if you're into watches, that whole Daytona series is highly collectible. The Paul Newman's Daytona is actually the Paul Newman Daytona Daytona, which Paul Newman gave to his daughter's boyfriend, I think in the 70s, late 60s, whatever it was was auctioned off about 18 months ago and went somewhere north of $17 million. So anyway, this very unassuming gentleman shows up at the Antiques Roadshow, wanted to get his Rolex Daytona appraised. He was in the service when he bought it, said he paid approximately $350 for it back in the mid-70s, and for the most part had basically left it unworn in his closet, had all the paperwork, and he was now curious as to its value. So the appraiser went on to talk about it's very pristine condition. He had all the papers. The Rolex has come with a label on the backside of the case. That label was for the most part intact, indicating that it really hadn't been worn that much, like he had said. And he went on to say that the value would be somewhere north of a half a million dollars. And almost on cue, the owner of the watch fell to the ground. 
I would not say it was an Oscar-worthy performance, but nevertheless, not a bad return on a $350 investment. I certainly don't run around with a crowd of people that are sporting half-million-dollar watches on their wrists, but of course there is no shortage of them, and very often these people are immediately labeled as snobs. And all this got me thinking about a Thrillist article I read several years ago, and it was titled, I wore an expensive watch while traveling and people treated me way differently. And at the time, the article was nothing more than really a commercial for the now defunct 11 James Watch Club. And if you've never heard of 11 James, think of it as a very, very early Netflix, but for watches. So for around 150 bucks each month, you had access to wear a luxury watch, you know, decide that you want to wear a Rolex uh, Dayjust for a couple months. And when you get tired of it, send it back in and they'll send you, say, an AP Royal Oak to wear. Well, like I said, it's now defunct. I think they went out for their IPO and things just really, really got sideways. But for me, the article came down to one very, very simple paragraph. The author went on to say, over the course of the summer, the way I was treated while traveling generally improved. Hotel front desk clerks actually seemed to care when my internet didn't work. Flight attendants gave me a whole can of soda. When I got first class upgrades, the people I sat next to actually talked to me. Watches, I later learned, are how regular first class flyers can tell the real money from the upgrades. I wasn't sure if it was just the confidence that came from wearing an expensive watch that caused people to treat me better, or it was the watch itself. Either way, my watch and I were clearly sending a message. And in theory, I agree with the author, but not 100% with watches. I mean, for instance, your car, it's like a watch. It serves a pretty basic purpose, point A to point B. But I'll tell you what, if I go house shopping and my realtor shows up in an 89 four-door Honda Accord with torn seats, I'm going to immediately form an opinion on him, and it's going to be a very different opinion had he showed up with a 2020 Tesla Model X. I mean, that's just the way life is. And honestly, I have a sub $200 Seiko SKX that I get more compliments on that watch than any other watch that I buy. And especially nowadays with so many people wearing smart watches, that if I see somebody with a really cool watch, I certainly don't treat them any differently. But if anything, I'll usually comment on the watch. And nine times out of 10, there is some kind of a story that goes with that watch. Either it was a hand-me-down or something they had saved or the so-called Holy Grail. You know, they graduated with their master's degree, whatever it is. But people will generally enjoy telling you that story. Here I am in full disclosure. Hello, I'm Steve. I'm a travel snob. Everyone in unison. Hello, Steve. I'm not a total snob, but I do have a few snobbish tendencies. Just like George Clooney from Up in the Air, I don't get in a TSA line behind old people and families with small children, especially if the small children are wearing mouse ears and they are flying out of Orlando. I mean, there's nothing worse than mom and dad and two or three kids. Dad's trying to figure out how to fold the stroller up. He's under pressure. Mom's getting on him. The kids, I just, that's not for me. I'll usually find a uh, TSA line with not as many people or people that look uh, like they're business travelers. I rarely stop at the front desk of a hotel when I'm checking out. I know they're going to email me a bill. I know I didn't destroy the room. The same thing with my rental car. I leave the keys in the ignition, grab my luggage, knowing well that by the time I get to the tarmac, 
my rental receipt will be in my inbox. My hotel profiles indicate that I want a room at the end of the hallway, away from the elevator, and the traveling swim team that insists on running up and down the hallway screaming at 1 a.m. The other advantage of getting a room at the end of the hallway is that's where the stairs are, and when there's a fire or a fire alarm, chances are that the elevator will not be functioning. So yes, I have a few idiosyncrasies, but nothing that is going to make me the poster child for travel snobbery. So I told you all that to tell you this. This past weekend, my wife and I stayed at the Hilton Orlando Buena Vista Palace Disney Springs area. This is not our normal hotel, the one that we've talked about in the past when we go down to Disney that we stay at. That is the Hilton Orlando Buena Vista Disney Springs area. No palace. This was our first, probably our last visit, and it was truly less than stellar. When we arrived got in our room, opened up the fridge to store our Diet Cokes, and our noses were greeted with the smell of old food. And inside the fridge were two styrofoam boxes packed full of food and a half-consumed Starbucks gooey frappa frappa or whatever. No problem. Called downstairs, explained the situation. They promised to correct. We headed over to Disney Springs for dinner. A few hours later, we came back to find, yes, a new fridge, but it contained the OPF, which is the other person's food. About that time, I started unpacking, and I noticed that the alarm clock on the bedside table on my side of the bed had no power cord. So another phone call back to housekeeping to explain the OPF fridge and their so-called half-hearted attempt at an alarm clock. And as I hung up the phone, I noticed that the bedside table on my side had no outlet to plug the alarm clock into anyway. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've ever seen that. You know, typically, there's an outlet on the bottom side of the bedside lamp. Thankfully, the other side of the bed on that table did have some place to, to plug it into. So they came back, got rid of all the old nasty food, brought us a new alarm clock. And about that time, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to work for a little bit. Let me plug in my laptop. And so I'm looking for an outlet, and I find one behind the sofa, pulled the sofa away from the wall, only to discover that both of the receptacles were dead. So being a true road warrior where this has happened before, I went into the bathroom and reset the uh, ground fault protection on the outlet, hoping that that outlet was on the same circuit, no dice. So the next morning, I actually went to the front desk to check out and voice my displeasure with the room. You know, the fridge, uh, that's an oversight, but the alarm clock, I mean, housekeeping should have noticed that, right? At some point, somebody had to have picked up that alarm clock to dust the table. And honestly, there's no telling how long the outlet behind the behind the sofa had been inoperable. And I can shoulder a fair amount of inconvenience, especially when traveling alone. But when I'm with family and friends and I've made the travel arrangements, I truly expect a bit more, not being a snob, but... Whether the rooms were booked on points, my head was in a bed to earn those points, or if I'm paying with cash, I do have a level of expectation. And so then I started doing a little bit of research, or as my uh, my wife says, mindlessly surfing the internet, and came across a Huffington Post article actually addressing travel snobs, and they asked a handful of questions and asked for readers to advise them on or to decide. So the very first question is, you flaunt that you know how to travel because you always book the best of everything. I wish. I try to book smart 
If I'm booking for business, I consider myself a steward of my company's money. If I book for leisure, I consider myself the steward of the Chateau Relaxo money. So be it a hotel, flight, or rental car, you know, sometimes it just takes smart planning. Just because I can book a hotel room with points doesn't mean it's a good idea. You know, for instance, a $100 room at a, a typical Hampton, I have seen cost 50,000 points. Not a great deal. Now, here's where I'm going to sound like a real true travel snob, but with my status with Hilton and all of their overrides, that $100 room will typically net me somewhere around 3,000 points. If I use my Hilton card, that gives me another you know, 1,300 points, so roughly 4,300 points for one night for a $100 room, which is almost the half of the amount of some of the points needed for a Hampton. I mean, some of their, their rooms are 10,000 points a night, so what better deal to spend one night in a, in a Hampton and get almost a half a night free and save those 50,000 points for a room that is two or $300. For instance, that Hilton this past weekend, I think was close to $300. It cost me 50,000 points. So they go on to say, you actually say been there, done that. What's next? Ah, you know what? I'm 50, 50 on this. There are places that we've been once or twice that they're just not worth going back to. And then there's some places that we've been to three or four times, like Savannah. We never tire of going to Savannah. We find ourselves there at least every 18 months, it seems like. You know, we enjoy planning trips. When I travel for business, I'm always on the lookout for new places to explore, to bring the family back to. Do you cringe every time you see someone with a suitcase? Not at all. You know, more than likely, I'm interested in knowing what's, what kind of bag they have, if there's anything in that bag that makes sense to me. Like when the away bags first hit, I thought that the onboard uh, battery for charging cell phones was a great idea. And then, of course, the uh, FAA mandated that you can no longer travel with them in the bag like that. But Nevertheless, you know, there's always something you can see. Why cringe? If somebody's got a bag and they're not a business traveler, more than likely they're going someplace that they're going to enjoy and have a good time. Do you argue that you aren't really traveling unless you go to the most remote, off-the-beaten-track destination, void of all human connections? Uh, that'd be a big no from me. Yes, we've done some remote, off-the-beaten-path stuff. But that's certainly not a prerequisite for being any kind of a traveler. You say phrases like, I don't go there anymore because it's too touristy or I would never go there. I enjoy going places other people have been. First, ask your friends. They'll have all kinds of tips for you. And second, it provides conversations at meetings and during lame parties. And besides, no one wants to hear about your vacation to some place that no one has ever heard of. You brag that you'd rather not go someplace than fly coach. I can only wish. I think my last first class trip was about four years ago, and it was a 47-minute flight from Baltimore to Raleigh, I think. You start conversations with, I'm a road warrior who travels 50 weeks a year. Guilty here. I try to keep it under control, but it is hard. During a recent trip, we had to replace our less than 10-year-old mattress. The sales clerk asked what kind of firmness I was interested in, and my response was, it's best to ask my wife because I'm on the road three to four nights each week, 
and I can sleep on anything. Now, keeping it under control is especially hard with baby road warriors. I feel obliged to help them and point them in the right direction. For instance, we had a gentleman that we worked with, and for about 18 months, this poor lad took a roller duffel bag. That was his luggage. And so roller duffel bags seem like a really good idea, but what you don't realize is that all your junk falls to the bottom of it. So after about 18 months, he got a traditional suitcase. We don't know if he just got tired of hearing us or he actually saw the uh, errors in his ways. Do you smugly begin conversations with, I don't travel, I wander? Nope, never, and not planning to get a tattoo that says that either. You think that staying at a five-star hotel is a crime against humanity. You know what? For work, it's what the budget supports. When it's leisure time, heck yeah, I want to be pampered. I'll spend the extra points for the better hotel rooms, even if it's for something as simple as a view. Do you roll your eyes when you see those hop-on, hop-off city tour buses? Let me tell you that those buses are a gift to the traveler, especially if you're new to the area. Think about the advantages. First, you don't have to hassle with parking. You're not paying for parking. You get dropped off normally right in front of where you want to go. You get to hear a little bit about the city. And besides, someone else is doing the driving. What's not to like? Do you seriously doubt that cruisers are real travelers? I, for one, am not a fan of cruisers. And the main reason is I give you the now quarantined coronavirus Diamond Princess cruise ship with more than 2,500 travelers. Meals are delivered to their cabins and they have permission to walk on deck six feet apart for a few minutes each day. You are trapped on a boat. When one person gets sick on a boat, traditionally everybody else gets sick. So not a fan of cruises. If you want to be a cruiser and you want to call yourself a traveler, have at it. So how do you get some of the upgrades? You know, with hotels and rental cars, it's a bit tougher with airlines, but it's really very simple. Just ask. The key is in the execution of asking. And there are two things that I typically do. Put my cell phone away, no texting, no sexting, no checking in on a swarm, and no tweeting. Stand up straight and ask very clearly, is there a chance you have any upgrades available? For instance, this weekend when we checked into the Hilton, I knew that there were rooms that overlooked Disney property that you could see the fireworks at night. When we checked in, I asked by chance, do you have any rooms that are overlooking the Disney property? And the desk clerk unfortunately said, hey, Sorry, we are completely sold out. You know, in this crazy and cold world, people still enjoy helping others. They like the ability to make someone else's day or night, no matter how insignificant it might appear. You know, look, besides if you get shot down, you're no worse for wear. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening and safe travels. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.